0: If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 12. This is one of the very few events in the life of Jesus Christ that is recorded in all four Gospels. There's only two or three in, that are all four Gospels. The resurrection, of course, is one. Uh, but this is all the only other one that we've seen is the feeding of the five thousand so far that's it the feeding of the five thousand is in all four gospels this is in all four gospels and the resurrection is in all four gospels of course the crucifixion and resurrection this is the the coming into jerusalem and he's coming in as king and he is he is accepted as king he is at least seen as king by many you're going to have throngs of people that are attesting that he is the Messiah of Israel. The the sadness, of course, the irony here, is that I can be the one that blesses God and then within a week I'm the one that is calling for his death because the same crowds who are in the town, this is the same festival, this is the festival of the Passover. And we know that the Passover is when God has chosen through, to see the mark on the door, to, to pass over judgment, that, that the judgment is, is only for those that are not safe. And this is now the king coming at Passover into his capital city, and it's, it really is amazing. We're going to see that this Sunday that this happens, this Sunday morning that this happens, he has just come from Bethany, which is right on the outskirts of town, and he was a dinner guest at Lazarus's house. And Lazarus has become a superstar. He is now, people will come and take pictures of his house, uh, I'm sure that they call him at all hours of the night, because he used to be dead, and now he is alive, and he's now kind of a tourist attraction in Bethany, and people who have come there to see Lazarus and see Jesus, um, you're not quite sure who's the most popular. But Jesus has stayed the night with them and has come in with his disciples into town. And you have to just realize that this little town and an ancient city, is never, it's never built to hold that many people. This is, the ancient city of, of Jerusalem is crowded and cramped with small, narrow uh, streets, There there are no big boulevards. There's nothing big to house this. But uh, the Jewish historian Josephus from the first century um, talks of a Passover um, a few years after Jesus had died that had two and a half million people there in in this little city. So it's teeming with people. And this is the week before. So it's what we would call Passion Week, the week before Easter. And um, Jesus is going to come in through the gates, through the king's gate. He's going to come in through the king's gate, the gate of the prince. And we'll see that all of it is planned, that he has planned it all. He's stage managed it all. This is Jesus at his most dramatic, which I think is amazing. There are times for drama. There's times for pageantry. There's times for let's let's. Let's see it as it should be. Now, the coronation of Jesus Christ happens quietly inside your heart, and a lot of people don't even see it, and the crowds haven't seen it. Now, they're going to see his exaltation without any doubt. They're going to see Jesus on his throne. All eyes will see, and those that pierced him will see, and all tongues will confess that he indeed is the highest of all high. But right now, Jesus is, is taking his victory lap. He's coming in because he made this world, and he is the king of this world, and he is the promised Messiah, and he's coming in as king. And I just think that is awesome. But he's coming in as king in a very unusual way, in a way that you wouldn't expect it. So there are two crowds mentioned here in John. Let's go to, go to verse 17. Usually I don't take it out of order, but you need it in order to understand where you're going. So I'm going to come at a little tiny out of order. So this is verse 17 and 18. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. Okay? It's the word testify, spread abroad, proclaim, preach, pronounce, publish. Okay? They told everybody they knew And it became a big deal that this man was four days in the grave. I know this guy. I went to his funeral. He was in the grave, and he came out tied in grave clothes when Jesus called his name. And people were just ecstatic. And these people started bearing witness. Now, there's a lot of people to tell because you have scads and scads of people coming in. Now, not everybody's here. I doubt that there's two million people in town yet because the festival doesn't, doesn't happen until Friday. But this is everybody's getting their place, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people there. And these crowds, it's like a match to the tinder. People are just immediately for seeing it. And many of these people themselves have seen Jesus. They have heard of him. There isn't anybody that hasn't heard of him. When Herod the king finally gets to try Jesus, he was like, Oh, goody, I really wanted to meet this guy. Like, there's nobody that hasn't heard of him. His fame is everywhere. And so when then people said, this has to be the Messiah, there was lots of people who jumped on that bandwagon. So you have two crowds, two crowds. 18 says, for this cause the people also met him, for that they had heard that he had done this miracle. So there were two big, teeming crowds of people just in front of Jesus. Now, Jesus is not in town. Jesus is still in Bethany on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So he's going to come down from the Mount of Olives and enter through the prince's gate. That's what's going to happen. So people are just everywhere. So the same crowd that was at Lazarus' house that saw him, remember verse 9, said that he, they came to see Jesus, but they were just as interested in seeing Lazarus. They wanted to see Lazarus too. And so they, so one, team, one crowd had been telling everybody, and the other crowd was the one who got told. And I see that that's who we are. We're the crowd that knows that Jesus is Messiah, telling the other crowd that hasn't quite heard it yet but are coming to investigate. And that's going to be all your life. It will be that way. So now let's look at Palm Sunday and what Palm Sunday means. I thought about saving this, of course. Palm Sunday is not very far away. It's uh, Easter is very early this year, it's in March, it's the 31st of March, so the week before is the week before Passover, so it's the week that you would usually saw Palm Sunday. But I don't see our days as special days, and if you do, I don't despise you and don't despise me. I see that God has given us his word and we can learn from his word. We don't reenact things. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to come on Easter Day because you're a Christian um, any more than any day. The Christian church meets on the first day of the week, as we have always met and will always meet until Jesus comes back. So to preach this, this is just the next chapter in John. And we have just went on from one verse to the next to the next, and that's how I choose to do it. And so you can think about it because it's coming up. But this is Palm Sunday. This is what Palm Sunday means. So let's look at the palms. All right. Why is it called Palm Sunday? This is verse 12 and 13. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. Now you think wow that's that's pretty cool. Palms were not used at Passover. Palms had nothing to do with Passover Passover, if you remember, they were to have killed a lamb uh, back in the days of the Egypt, and they were in Egypt as slaves and and God told uh, told Moses that this was going to be the last of the plagues, the very last, and it was going to be worse than any of things before and but they were going to prepare because had they not prepared, they would have been in the same situation as the egyptians he was going to take the firstborn of every animal and every person in the country whether it was the firstborn of pharaoh on his throne or the firstborn of the prisoner in the prison or the maid at the mill it would not have mattered anybody at all that was a firstborn was going to be under god's curse and and what we what we see is that he said, I want to separate my people in a different way. If you remember when it was dark, there was light in Goshen. It was dark everywhere and light in Goshen. And it hailed in everywhere else and didn't hail in Goshen. And everybody's animals died of anthrax, and the people in Goshen, no animals died. That God said, I'm going to separate my people from your people, and I'm going to distinguish and discriminate. I will bless my people and curse the ones that are my enemies. God said this, but this last one was different. He said, "You have to prepare for this because you are the whole world is going to be under the same situation. You are to take a lamb that's watched, and you are to kill it on twilight, on this last day before the before what would eventually be called the Sabbath. And then you are to take the blood in a bowl and wipe it on the lintel and the doorposts of your house." and then you're to go in and for no reason whatsoever, no reason at all, are you to come out of that house. And the death angel is going to come and there's not going to be a family in this entire country that is not going to be marked by this curse. And you will stay in place until I deliver you as slaves. This is the day. You're to eat it with your shoes on, your coat on, and your staff in your hand because you're about to get up and leave. This was God's final thing. And the Passover was required for everybody to come in and and worship God together. But the palm branches were a different festival. The palm branches were from the Feast of Tabernacles, which is in October. There were three feasts that you had to go through. You had to come to Pentecost, you had to come to Passover, and you had to go to Tabernacles. Every male in the country was required to come. So in October, they would cut palms off of the branches of the trees and they would wrap them in bundles and thatch little tiny lean-to sheds, little little cottages or booths or or tents, and then they would live outside for a whole week. And I'm sure it was a blast. It would be just like camp. It's as fun as camping, only everybody in the world's doing it with you. And those palm branches were were bundled up. So you have palms, you would have myrtle branches, you would have things that smelled good, and you would all tie them in bundles. Okay? And what you're going to see is it was a festival about God's provision in the wilderness that God had provided us. Water, do you remember chapter 7? Jesus said, anybody who's thirsty, come to me and drink. And then they would light up the menorahs in the courtyard of the temple all night and have light all night in in an ancient city. And everybody would essentially stay up all night in a a big party. And, And Jesus watched them light the menorahs and said, I am the light of the world that all of these things you see that's representing the Messiah coming, because it was all about the Messiah. The Messiah was the one that was going to provide for us. The Messiah was the one that we're waiting for, the Messiah. So it was heightened expectation. So what happened is when they said, here's the Messiah, this is the king of Israel, people just said Messiah, and they started cutting off the branches of the trees the same way that they had been taught since they were little kids. And they took their coats off and they took their shirts off and they put them in the road so that the donkey would be smooth as he walked across the rocks. And he, they strawed the way with the, with the palm branches in honor and they waved them. In fact, at this time, they actually called the, the bundle a hosanna because the hosanna was, was a psalm that was sung by the, by the, the choir every day of, of tabernacles. This is Psalm 18. This is this is what Miss Brenda read. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I'll go into them and praise the Lord. The gate of the Lord unto which the righteous shall enter, I'll praise thee for you have heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the head of the corner. This is from Matthew. Jesus said, what do you think about that verse? that you've rejected the stone that God is going to use as the cornerstone of the building and you've rejected him because it's not good enough for you, but it's God's most important stone that he's going to use? It's me that Jesus was saying. This is the day which the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Every day is the Lord that has made. Every day you can be glad and rejoice in the day that the Lord has made. But this is talking about Jesus walking through the prince's gate. Jesus is going to assume king rights over this world. That day is the day that the Lord has made. And to know that that is as sure as happened, that God is victorious and Jesus Christ is king of this world. And that happened, that he walked through the gate that was only reserved for the prince. When there was a gate reserved for the, for the prince in the, tep- in the temple, the prince could go through one door and you would close it all the time. Only the prince could walk through that door. And then you had to shut the door. But you kept it open after the camp, the, the, for the whole day after the, the prince had walked in it because that open door showed that the prince walked through it. That there is a door open to us that the prince walked through. That the righteous can enter. And then it goes on. Save now, I beseech you. That's the word hosanna. Some of your Bibles will just say Hosanna. Save now, save immediately, save please, save us now please. That's the idea of Hosanna. Hosanna originally was what you would yell to the Messiah to do for you. But then as you realize that the Messiah was, people who were faithful in Israel are the same as people who are faithful now. They simply are taking God at his word. And when they realized that the Messiah was coming, a faithful Jew would say, it's the same as the Messiah has already come. I can depend upon God the same in the future as I am now because it will happen. And so it said, save us now, and it changed. It changed from a word, like right now you wouldn't say Hosanna. When you, when you teach Hosanna songs to the kids, Hosanna, Hosanna, that's not save us now, please. It's the idea of I praise you, God. But it's the same word. That I save us now is the same as I praise you, because what God decides to do, it's done. And if we have to wait for the culmination of all things, it's the same as if it's happened. Your faith allows you to live in the already and the not yet at the same time, which is, I just think, amazing. It's not, God doesn't say no. He says yes and amen to every promise that he's ever made. So you can depend upon it. And then it says, this is uh, verse 26, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Blessed, and remember what they said in John? Blessed to the king of Israel who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the Messiah that they're talking about. God is the Lord which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifices with cords, even upon the horns of the altar. This is all about Jesus. Now, Psalms knew more than the people at this festival knew. The Psalms were saying this is the gate of the Lord that the, the prince walks through and we will rejoice because the, the king has come and save us now because you are the Messiah and then you have shown us light and now bind the sacrifice on the horns of the altar. Every bit of it is Jesus' work for us, all of this. And this is what they're shouting. And we've got a teeming crowd of people shouting in front. And, it, and they're, they're in the front. There's a crowd of people. Matthew says a, a one crowd in the front of Jesus, and there's a second crowd in the back of Jesus, hollering back and forth to him. So it becomes, it becomes the Messiah that they're appealing to. They are recognizing Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth as their Messiah. That's what they're doing. Look at 13 again. Took branches of the palm trees and went forth to meet him. Crying, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. That is amazing. It's amazing that we will get to see that. We will get to see Jesus enthroned in glory. That right now Paul said he lives in unapproachable light. Unapproachable light. That we will see him face to face. And we will pass from one set of glory into another as we see the king in his glory. That is what the yearning heart of every panting Christian soul is. God, show me your glory. It's what Moses wanted. Show me your glory. And God was like, ah, can't do that. You, it, would, it would fry your brains. I'll put you in the cleft of a rock, and I will pass in front of you, and then you will see my glory. It is only Jesus Christ, that cleft rock of ages, that we're able to stand in, protected, that we would truly be able to see. Jesus in his true glory, but this is what they're seeing they're seeing a they're seeing a glimpse the sun in these windows is the same as what will happen all throughout this land. The land will dry up and it will get beautiful and the flowers will come back just because God insists that that's how it will be morning and evening, springtime and harvest until the end of the ages because he promises it's done it's the same as done now look at fourteen. Fourteen is the amazing part. Fourteen is the amazing part. It's not that people would see Jesus as king that's the amazing part because many people can be whipped up into emotion very, very easily. You can easily call out and make people do something and everybody joining the parade and they're not even quite sure what there is. You'll see in Matthew in the because it's, it's in all four Gospels, I'm pulling from everywhere today because it's easy. I can, I can see what was really there. All of this I can trust. I can trust every word in the Bible. I know that it's true. And so when I, it's not in John, go look where it is. And in Matthew it said when he finally comes into the city, everybody in the city is like, what's going on? Then the people who've come in the, with the parade said, this is Jesus, the son uh, the, that is the son of David and the, and the Messiah who've been looking for. And people are just excitable. People are excitable and fickle. Because this is the same crowd that will call for his crucifixion in the, in the same week. It's a fickle thing. What I think is amazing is when you get to 14. So let's look at this. This is 12, 14, 14 and 15. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat on it. As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. Pretty interesting. So Jesus, we're going to see, managed this. Now, it didn't say anything about where they got the colt. They found it, they said. This is all John said. They found a young ass and sat upon it. But when you go other places, you're going to see there's more to the story. Let's go to Mark. This is Mark chapter 11. And saith unto him, go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as you've entered it, you'll find a colt tied whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do you do this? You say that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied at the door with the place where the two ways met, and they loosed him. And a certain of them that stood around said, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said to him, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let him go. So Jesus had already gone into town and already arranged with the owner of this animal that I'm going to send for it, like Jesus already knew what he was going to do. It, it's not that things happened to Jesus. Things didn't happen to Jesus. Jesus made things happen. You sometimes think that Jesus doesn't rush. He simply walks from place to place and things just kind of meet him on the, in the air. You have to realize he established all this in advance. Everything is planned. Even down to where the ways of two paths met, there was an animal tied on the fence, and you go get that animal, and they're going to ask you a question, and you give them the password. Essentially, it was all of it. Jesus had arranged it. Jesus stage managed this. I just think this is cool. Now, this is Matthew 21. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and the coal colt the foal of an ass. This is from Zechariah. So he has he has gone and the, the John now, the Holy Spirit is upon John. All things have been brought back to John's memory. He knows now not just what happened, but he understands why things have happened. And he's writing with the understanding that the prophets that have been years, hundreds of years dead had spoken and that this was in response to that prophecy. So he is going way into the deep past to Zechariah. This is chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt a foal of an ass. The the interesting part to me is not that Jesus is the king of Israel. Jesus is the king of Israel. He already told the woman in the well in chapter 4, I am he who you're talking about. When the Messiah will come, he will explain all things. The one you're speaking to is the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. He tells the man born blind, I'm the son of God. Do you believe on the son of God? And the man said, help me. Who, Who is he that I might believe on him? I'm the one talking to you. Now, blow your mind. That blows your mind. Jesus is the king of Israel. But the, the, what is amazing here is that he's not just conveying that he's king of Israel, which he is. And he knows that he's going to die that week. He knows that when the, the Passover lambs are being slaughtered at twilight, he will give up his last breath. He already knows. But he is also saying that he indeed is king. But he's not king like you thought to look out for a king. He's telling what kind of a king he is. And he's going back to Zechariah, the prophet who pre- predicted this, to say, This is the kind of king that I am. You have to remember back in chapter six, Jesus has fed 5,000 people. And people are realizing, I know that we didn't have any food here, and we have all eaten till we are stuffed. And now they're picking up baskets and baskets and baskets of le- leftovers. And they were like, This is the guy who could kick out the Romans. Maybe God's blessing is on him, and they wanted to make him king. This is verse 15, chapter 6. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force and make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Interesting. Why didn't he want to be king if he knew he was king? He knew he was king, and they were going to make him king. And they they wanted to make him the Messiah of Israel, and he is the Messiah of Israel. But he knew that he was a different Messiah of Israel than they were looking for. And he wasn't going to be part of their plan. He had the plan. And the part of his plan was that he was going to come on a donkey, meek and lowly, having salvation with him. Now, a donkey is not what you'd think of as a king. The king doesn't come on a donkey. This is Solomon had 40,000 horses for his army and stalls for each of those horses, 40,000 horses. A horse is what a king would come in. Do you think Caesar ever came into Rome on a donkey? No, he had no donkey. But Jesus has two rides in the Bible. He comes in here and the day of the the Sunday before Passover starts and he is riding on a donkey, lowly and meek. And he comes in, in Revelation 19 again. Listen to this. And I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that's called the the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon his white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword." that he should smite the nations, and he would rule them with a rod of iron. And he hath treaded out the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and upon his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Jesus will indeed come on a prancing white charger. And he will not be weaponless do you realize he's, he is coming through the gates of the prince with no weapons? He is not coming as a, as a, as a despot. He's not coming as a tyrant. He's not coming in, in any way other than he says this is what God is to you, that he is lowly. Come to me, weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest because I am lowly and meek in spirit, and take upon me my yoke because my yoke is easy and my burden light, This is the Messiah that he intends to be. This is the king of Israel that he intends to show. And nobody, not one, not a single person, not any of his disciples, nobody, Lazarus, no one has the slightest inkling of what is really going on. There are countless multitudes of crowds screaming, here's the Messiah, praise be to the, to the son of David. And they're all missing just how triumphant this is. Only Jesus himself knows. I think that's amazing. That, that all can be excited about something that they're clueless for, but they're clueless. The king on a donkey represents a ruler coming in peace. Now, a colt is not even a donkey yet. Do you think that? A colt is the baby of a donkey. It's the foal of a donkey. This is Matthew 21. Saying it to them, go into the village over against you, and you straightway will find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. So there's two animals brought to Jesus. There is the donkey, and then there's the baby. And the baby is the one that Jesus sits on. And the donkey is riding along with the baby, and Jesus is sitting on the baby's back as he's going through the parade. Why? Why? This is the rest of Zechariah. This is the prophecy that Zechariah foresaw when he saw the whole dim picture. This is what John said and Matthew said and Mark said was referring to the prophecy. This is the rest of chapter 9, verse 10. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow the bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the heathen. And his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. As for thee also, by thy covenant, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein there is no water. Turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. That's the king that's coming into his capital. That's the king. This king is claiming that this is the capital city of the entire earth and he is coming to ascend the throne of the earth. He is not coming where everybody is not letting him in, only some kids and some rabble is allowing him in the, in the gate because everybody's coming in the gate because it's a festival gate. Do you remember what Melissa read? And the, and the people will come into the festivals and the prince will come right in with him because he will be part of them rejoicing with them. That's what he's doing. He's coming in, but he is claiming a worldwide kingdom. And he's sitting on a donkey with no weapons. And his prisoners that normally are at the back, so Caesar coming in on his charger, prancing and and pawing with his gilded sword on his side, has 10,000 prisoners bound that will be executed the later that day and they all come in the, behind him. Paul said I'm like I feel like that's to us. We're the apostles are the end of the parade. We're the bound prisoners at the end that'll be executed at night as the as this triumphal entry comes through the through the parapets. And that's that's not what we have here. Jesus has prisoners. Look at the prisoners Jesus has. Also, I sent forth the prisoners out of the pit where there is no water turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. The prisoners that Jesus has as king are not prisoners to be destroyed so that he will be more glorious. It's that they will be saved that he will be more glorious. And we are prisoners of hope. We are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that is astonishing. God sent not his son into into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The second thing I say about this beautiful little donkey is that no one had ever ridden it. No one had ever ridden this little donkey. Mark 11 says, You'll find a colt tied whereon man has never sat. Loose him and bring him. It was never used for common purposes. So God is able to use it for sacred purposes. When you are are cleaned of your filthiness so that you are not common, God can use you as a gold cup on a a beautiful table. Now, if you find yourself mucked with sin, as you will, you turn from it, you clean yourself from it, and then God can use you the same as he could always use you. All of it is... Your ability. God has given you the freedom. We are not monkeys, and we're not puppets, and we're not marionettes. We have the freedom to serve God with true hearts of love because God has given us that. When you look at what Jesus did, when you look at the crimson on him like the robe, that makes me love him. And when I love him, I want to serve him. I will serve him. I'll serve him to my death knell. I promise, promise. He was humble and separate. He was humble and separate. This this colt was low as it could be. It wasn't even a real donkey yet. And it was never broken. I don't know if that makes any sense. I don't know enough. I had to look it up. Do you, I, I had to ask somebody, do you break a donkey? Donkeys are the most stubborn of all animals. And yes, you have to break a donkey. I don't know, I think you have to hit it to death, I don't guess, but you have. he has to know that there's weight on him. He has to know what a cue is. He has to know if your foot goes this, something has to go that. And this donkey had never been ridden on, ever. And he comes and they put it their coats on the donkey's back and they place Jesus on it. And in an instant, that donkey is broken. That donkey is, is yielding to the master, just like the ocean yielded to the master, the ocean yielded, because it was his maker commanding it to, to be still, and that instantly that donkey re- replied, the same as if it had been trained. And that's the same with us. same with us. It takes, takes our life. He rode this is what I wrote down. He rode on a borrowed donkey. The king doesn't even have his own donkey. Solomon had 40,000 stalls for his horses. And a greater than Solomon is here. And he didn't even have his own doggy. You know what I wrote down next? Have you started to see how my brain works? This is the verse I went to next. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher. That was hewn in stone wherein never a man was laid. Humble. So humble that he had to borrow a tomb. So humble, but totally separate because no one had ever laid there before. It was consecrated unto God, sacred, sacred unto God, but common in that it wasn't even his. He only needed a short time anyway. It was a borrowed donkey that showed humility and grandeur, and a borrowed tomb that showed humility and grandeur. Pretty cool. Pretty amazing, not common. They weren't only praising God by waving palm branches. They were honoring Jesus. They were honoring Jesus in a way that the leaders weren't. Jesus said, you don't honor me. You think you're honoring God, but you don't honor me. And if you do not give honor to the son, you give no honor but dishonor to God. And the multitudes were softening the path to make the donkey ride easier so that the king would not be bumped around. I just think that is pretty cool. And it said the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. This is from Luke. 19, and when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude and disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Ah, oh, it's the angels again. It's what the angels said. Peace be to man and upon anybody that God's favor rests upon Let there be peace. Now, go on, because this is the only one that says this. This is Luke. Luke is interesting. Luke investigated so much that he adds so much detail. This is verse 39 of 19. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said to them, Master, rebuke your disciples. What does Jesus say back? I would put my paycheck on the table and say that you could tell me exactly what he says back. This is verse 40. And he said and answered them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. The stones would cry out. If you are praising true God, the entire earth is his, is his and all that's in it. That's what, that's what the Psalm 24 started The earth and all that's in it is his. So therefore, raise you up, you mighty doors. Why? Get higher. Get loftier. Get more exalted because the prince of glory is coming in. Who is this king of glory? This king of glory is the Lord Sabaoth. That's the king of glory. Selah. Psalm 33 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely and upright. Appropriate is the word comely. It is appropriate that the people who've been saved by Jesus Christ would praise Jesus Christ. That's appropriate. It's right. It's good and right. Psalm 107, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Say it. If it's true of you, say it. If it's not true of you, don't speak until Jesus be raised from the dead. But if Jesus be raised from the dead, then with all of your lives, you speak it. You publish it. And think not, this is Matthew 3, to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God has made of these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So which stones cried out? Which stones cried out? When they all held their voice, when their, when their, their hosannas turned to crucify him then that means that the stones had to cry out in the streets. And we very, all of us, are the stones that were turned into into children of Abraham. We are the ones now that are saying, Hosanna. Blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was receiving their worship. So I went digging. Happens five times. Think, when did Jesus receive worship? He received worship tacitly, I suppose, when the wise men came. They bowed down and worshiped him. That's in the end of Luke. <clears throat> Matthew 14, Jesus and Peter step into a boat. And what happens? This is Matthew 14. And when they were come to the ship, they all worshiped him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. That was the instant that the disciples recognized that they were talking to the son of god that it was the son of god they were following because nothing could be they they could not put their mind around the fact that anybody could do what they did peter walked on water and they watched him and they both got in the boat and they fell down in worship peter at the front john 9 which we've seen the blind man falls down and worships him who is the son of god that i might that i might believe I am he who's talking, and he fell down and worshiped with perfectly good legs. He just had two bad eyes, and his legs were perfect, and he fell down and worshiped Jesus because he knew who he was. We're going to see in Matthew 28 that that all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, and they all come up to him, and he's on the Mount of Olives, and this is the disciples that he's speaking of, and they said, and they worshiped him, but some doubted. I think That's so cool, too. That's us. That's us. We worshiped him and some doubted. And then in John 20, at the very end of John, in about 15 years when we get there, Thomas answers and says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus receives that worship. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts is he. Verse 16, these things, back in John 12, these things understood not the disciples at first, But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him, they needed the Holy Spirit to even remember what they had done and why they had done it. The Holy Spirit is required in their hearts, and they hadn't come yet. Jesus had yet to be glorified, and the Holy Spirit had not come, but it happened. John 14 was the promise, the Comforter, who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring into remembrance all things whatsoever I've said to you. It's there; at, the word is so near. Moses said, "To your heart and your tongue, that near, that's what it is." John twelve nineteen. I love ending like this. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, "Perceive how you prevail nothing! Behold, the whole world has gone after him. It's their worst nightmare." And we're going to see that they must end this immediately. Immediately. It has to be dealt with. Now, John doesn't do it immediately. This is, this is the end of middle of chapter 12. And John goes all the way to 20. So he is now going to slow down. And we're now going to look at the heart of Jesus God, who is already assumed as king, who's king to these men, these 11 men and a traitor. And he's going to pour his, his heart and his life into them because they're going to need it. And he's going to divest himself of glory and put a towel around and wash their feet. That's where we're going. Praise the Lord. Amen.